Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Rising mortgage rates really squeezing homeowners who may soon be forced to sell. A plea for donations from Canadian Blood Services. Hamilton City Hall is hosting a special photo exhibit on the war in Ukraine. Online scammers clearly love targeting Canadians. Where do you stand on conspiracy theories? And meet Lucas McEnany, the Hamilton man who won the Buffalo Marathon in a unique way. The GMH Podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton Podcast on 900 CHML. New survey out from the Manulife Bank of Canada. And the numbers are quite troubling to see. 18% of homeowners that they surveyed admit they can't afford their homes. One in four, 20%, basically, pardon me, 25%, say they will be forced to sell if mortgage rates climb higher. That is a scary scenario. Very much so for a place like Hamilton, whose housing market, the real estate market, has been unbelievably hot over the last number of years, especially during the pandemic. It's cooled down a little bit, but many homeowners looking at their Bank statements thinking, can we afford this? If rates go higher, we might be forced to take some action. Well, what are the options for you? Brian Hogman is the owner of Mission 35 Mortgages and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Brian, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great, Rick. Thanks for having me on the show today. And uh, that is a scary introduction indeed Yeah, for, uh, those rising interest rates. Absolutely. Are you surprised, though? I mean, we've seen house prices go up incredibly high in this city. We know that now mortgage rates are rising. Um, I'm not too surprised that many homeowners are thinking, I, I can't afford this. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think sometimes, uh, you know, when we see this stuff, it's uh, I always say disappointment is unmet expectations. And, uh, you know, the Bank of Canada said in July 2020, don't worry, it'll be low forever. And lo and behold, here we are not too uh, far down the road and they're going up. So I think, you know, sometimes homeowners, you know, you're going to think that the number one thing to do to help yourself is to sell your house. But the reality is, is that if you've owned a home for 12 months, 18 months, your home is still up quite significantly And the other thing that we sometimes forget about is that you've paid off a lot of principal in the past year with rates being uh, as low as what they were. Did you realize, Rick, that half, more than half the mortgage payment for most people in the past year was going to pay down their principal? That is pretty good. And that's obviously, that's a lot of headway in terms of paying down that mortgage. But when it comes to those who are on a fixed rate, they're going to get hit hard when their mortgage comes up for renewal. Yeah, you're absolutely right on that. There are some uh, there are some alternative lenders as well too, which we deal with, where the rates have, like the article said, more than doubled. And I think it's time to get ahead of it. You know what we're talking about a lot right now is the great big bad B word, and that's budget. No one wants to talk about budgeting their money, but I think you know everybody was qualified on a stress test before, but you kind of forget about it. You're qualified at a rate of five and a quarter a year or two years ago, and you got used or accustomed to paying a rate of 2 or 3%. Uh, and now it's going to come due pretty close to that stress test. So I think it's a great, a great opportunity to start to look at, hey, where can we tighten the belt? And that, that's no easy feat in a rising cost environment right now. Wasn't the mortgage stress test supposed to avoid this type of potential sell-off scenario like you know you can qualify for 5.25 your, your rate's going to be much lower than that but if it does raise to that you should be okay wasn't that the genesis of the stress test yeah you're absolutely right it was i think um i think what it didn't take into consideration is just human behavior 
right? I think we get used to just like anything else. We get used to the same thing and the same payment. And then maybe we get a car loan or renovations or things just come up in life that make things more expensive. And we forget that um, that payment could go up. So the stress test, I think, was designed with a great intention in mind, but I don't think it took into consideration the fact that just people get used to it and don't budget for for that increase that could come. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Brian Hogman, the owner of Mission 35 Mortgages. Check them out online at mission35mortgages.com. We're talking about a new survey from Manulife Bank of Canada that shows 18% of homeowners admit they can't afford their homes. One in four say they'll be forced to sell if mortgage rates climb higher. We know that the Bank of Canada has indicated that their key lending rate will continue to increase in the months ahead. And that might get some homeowners to get ready to push the panic button. But before they do, what options do they have in front of them? That's a great point, Rick. I think because of that principal pay down and because house prices still have gone up, look to refinance. Take a look to see if you can take some of your, maybe if you have a car loan or you have a high interest credit card and try to roll it into your mortgage because it'll make your payments much cheaper. In addition to that, you can actually put your mortgage over a longer period of time. Now, I know that may seem counterproductive, but I I think it's way better to keep your house and have a longer mortgage than it is to sell because we all know what goes up goes down, what goes down goes up. And I think this is a a moment in time for the market that, you know, things are going down, but they will end up coming back up again too. For those who do decide to go the refinance route, would you recommend, and I know, you know, everyone's kind of different and every scenario is different. Would you recommend that homeowner stay in a variable or go into a fixed rate? Oh, that's a great question. Um, And I think it comes down to everybody's goals at the end of the day. And I also call it sleep insurance. Okay. Um, I think if you look at the numbers over time and you look at increases, the variable rate will save you money over time because there's still a significant lift that has to occur to meet the fix. But I tell people all the time, if you're going to lay awake at night worrying about this, that is no way to live and you should take a look at the fixed rate. So really, you got to take a deep, hard look at yourself and what your goals are. Um, the, if you're a gambler, I like the variable. If you don't like uh, any uncertainty, period, then you know what? I think you will pay a premium, but you're paying a premium for that sleep insurance on the fixed rate. Brian Hogman is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, the owner of Mission 35 Mortgages. Check them out online at mission35mortgages.com. As mortgage rates continue to rise, do you expect a flood of homeowners to downsize in the not-too-distant future? They might be selling their homes, but, I mean, they're not going to go into an apartment or, or be homeless. They're going to probably look at downsizing, right? It is possible, yeah. I think whenever a market like this comes, people do. You know, you will see some panic buying and selling. Uh, my hope is that people take a look at where they're at because the idea is it's the same thing. If the market's gone down or changed, everything is relative. If you're moving down, you're getting less for your house and you're buying for less. I do think that there will be a portion of the market, Rick, but I'm hopeful that most people will be able to weather the storm and stay in it. Because I think once you get out of the housing market, it's tremendously difficult to get back in. Absolutely. Brian, really appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Rick. I appreciate it. That's Brian Hogman, owner of Mission 35 Mortgages, online mission35mortgages.com. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. This is National Blood Donor Week. It's all not good news, though. Canadian Blood Services says the COVID-19 pandemic has resulted in its smallest donor base in a decade. 
Well, we need to flip the script here. Tina Hunselar is a Hamilton Community Development Manager with Canadian Blood Services and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Tina, how are you today? I'm great, thanks. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm not too bad. Thanks for coming on the show. This uh, sounds like dire news. What kind of stats are we looking at here? Yeah, I mean, it is. We've kind of been seeing an immediate need for blood over the last couple months. Um, We are celebrating Blood Donor Week this week, so it's really a time for us to thank and celebrate our loyal donors. But we're also really trying to focus on the need for new donors. You know, every year there's lapsed donors. That's common. It happens. Um, This year, however, we're seeing a drop of about 31,000 donors, which is huge for us. We kind of think that it has a lot to do with COVID. You know, people have been sick. People have had to isolate. And from a Canadian Blood Services standpoint, we really haven't been able to get out there and and do in-person recruitment like we're used to. Um, so it's it's been hard. <laughs> what has been the impact of losing 31,000 regular donors? So the our, our our blood supply, you know, it every everything matters. Our our blood products are perishable, so that's something that we really need people to understand is that we need donors every single day. The need for blood donors never stops and so when we're losing out more donors than we're typically used to, we need to attract new donors to fill those spots. So we're really trying to attract around 100,000 new donors this year. So we're really trying to get the word out there and spread that news. Are there still misconceptions at play in terms of donating blood? I would say so, yes. Um, I mean, I, I totally understand it. A lot of people say, you know, I've never been asked to donate. That's why I don't donate. So for us, we're really trying to get out there and get that ask out there to people to come donate and really let them know that, it, it's not it's not a scary thing to do, you know, and in that hour of your time, you can save people's lives. So it is a really great thing to get into. And we have amazing staff, amazing people to help you through it every step of the way. Well, let's open some people's eyes. What does a, a regular blood donation appointment look like? What do people go through? Yeah, that's a great question. So typically you fill out a questionnaire when you arrive um, that goes over basic basic information about yourself. From there, you'll go speak directly to a nurse. They'll test your hemoglobin, make sure that you're healthy, make sure you're in a good state to be donating. From there, you go relax in the bed for about 15 minutes or so while your blood is drawn. And then after that, you get a nice little snack and something to drink. And then you head on your way. And is this a once a month type of thing? So females are eligible to donate blood every 86 days, and males are eligible to donate every 56 days. So every couple of months, depending on the person. All right. Tina Hunselar is our guest, Hamilton Community Development Manager with Canadian Blood Services, and the need for blood is out there. How can someone become a blood donor? Do they have to sign up? Can they just book an appointment online? How does that work? Yes. So you can either call one eight eight two donate to book yourself an appointment. If you did have any questions or any concerns, you can speak directly to um, a staff member. You can also go online at www.blood.ca or on our Give Blood app. And all of the eligibility information is on there, as well as an eligibility quiz that you can take to ensure that you're eligible to donate as well. Are there any skill testing questions in this quiz? Because I'm not sure I'd pass. (laughs) There are not. Uh, This is a key time, too, because summer is traditionally a a slow time for donations. People are going on vacations and whatnot, so it's really a key time now. Yeah, you know, and another thing, too, we see a lot more car accidents and things like that during the summer. 
especially on long, long weekends when people have their trips planned, we see that there's not as many donors coming out, but the need for blood really goes up. And something as simple as um, a patient that needs blood from a car accident can use up to 50 units of blood. So um, it's really important that people really try their hardest to sort of get out there, keep do- blood donations in their plans, um, and take that hour of their day to um, support Canadian Blood Services. Well, hopefully our discussion has encouraged some of our listeners to uh, get out there and contact you guys and uh, give their blood. Tina, really appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us, and best of luck going forward. Thanks so much. Have a good one. You too. That's Tina Hunselar, Hamilton Community Development Manager with Canadian Blood Services. Donate your blood today. They they need it. Obviously, a lot of people involved with uh, surgeries or accidents will greatly benefit. one to donate bloodca is the website. You can also download the Give Blood app if you want to make a commitment to donate your blood. I know the Canadian Blood Services and all those who benefit are really appreciative of that. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. It uh, should be an emotional afternoon later on today at Hamilton City Hall because a special photo exhibit documenting the war in Ukraine, including fresh shots from the front lines, will open at City Hall later on today. Rob Ziedler is the exhibit organizer. He's also the managing partner at the Cotton Factory and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Rob, good morning. How are you? I'm well. I'm well indeed. Tell us about this exhibit. What are we going to see? Okay, so it's a great exhibit that was first put together in Tallinn, Estonia. And then uh, um, was it was brought to Canada uh, by a woman who works, at the interestingly, at the Estonian Centre. Um, but it's Ukrainian photographers who are recording the war, who have recorded the war in Ukraine, uh, both when it first started in 2014 and the most recent invasion uh, starting on February 24th. So it, they're very, it's, not, um, it's not gory, but they're certainly very poignant photos of the destruction that have been caused in this attack on Ukraine. Are these photojournalists? Are they artists? Are they just regular people taking these photos? There is a variety. There are uh, all three are there. There some are photojournalists, some are artists, and some are regular people. You mentioned them, the photos being poignant, and the one that is showcased on the, um, I guess, the flyer, for lack of a better term, promoting this event, is extremely difficult to look at because it shows the destruction of war. You know, a burnt-out car, debris all over the place, but just. In the distance is a church that is what looks like relatively untouched from what I can tell. Um, That really paints a picture on how devastating this war has been. Yeah, it really does. I mean, that's why that photo in particular was chosen. Um, I think for most Canadians, I mean, we won the geography lottery. We live a life that, that, you know, we are untouched by these things. Uh, I remember, you know, as a young man, I was stationed in Germany as part of the NATO defense against the Soviet army attack. Um, and, you know, you trained for what would happen if the Russians ever crossed the start line and did the same to Germany of what they are doing now to Ukraine. And, uh, you know, it's very, very interesting in that in Canada, for us, we're relative, like, you know, the Second World War came and went, no Canadian cities were bombed out or anything else. Um, you know, for us, for Canadians, the war was a story of liberation. We went across and we liberated, you know, France, then Holland, then frankly, we liberated Germany from the Nazis. 
For the eastern side of Europe, it was a very different story. It was replacing one occupying army with a different occupying army. And the, you know, whether you were in Poland, Latvia, Estonia, Lithuania, you know, frankly, the Ukraine, uh, you were occupied. And, you know, in 1991, when the Soviet Empire collapsed, you had this massive freedom. Um, and we see again this something that I thought we'd never see in our lifetime. You know, I, I had hoped that, you know, my and hundreds of thousands of other service in, you know, defeating the, the Russians and preventing them from invading Western Europe, that that time had come and gone. And we wouldn't ever see a war like this again and, and a senseless war. And I think we now feel the way our grandparents felt when the Nazis invaded Poland. We're watching this whole-scale destruction of a country. And I think this is a good reminder of what's going on to see exactly what is happening in Ukraine. Rob Zeidler is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. He's the organizer of the Images of War exhibit that's going on or will be unveiled later on today at Hamilton City Hall and also the managing partner at the Cotton Factory. And I understand this exhibit will be at the Cotton Factory after today. What's the what's the overall goal of this exhibit? What do you want people to um, have their takeaway be? So it's going to be actually at City Hall for two weeks, oh, okay. so from today until the 28th. And I would like to personally thank uh, Mayor Fred Eisenberger, who has been 100% behind this from day one. I emailed him, and it turned out he was on holiday, uh, taking a river cruise down the Danube. And he wrote straight back and said, I'm 100% behind this, put his team on it, and, and thank you to the city for this. And if anybody wants to see it, please go to City Hall and have a look over the next two weeks. And I think, you know, I, we at the Cotton Factory have tried to support um, Ukraine in every way we can. I mean, I'm not Ukrainian, but I think at this moment we all are uh, watching what's going on. So we've given money, you know, we work with the Ukrainian community um, and we'll continue to do so, uh, to do everything we possibly can to help. But I think this photo exhibit sort of helps to bring the conflict to life, as it were. And really keep it in the forefront, because as we know, the longer this conflict drags on, you know, the less intense focus that uh, everyone kind of, you know, focuses on it. You know, in the first couple of weeks of the war, that was all we were talking about. And uh, now it's it's not front of mind for many people. And that's unfortunate. But hopefully this exhibit will bring that back, get people donating again to the cause and uh, help Ukrainians ultimately. Rob, really appreciate your time. Thanks for doing this as well and bringing this story and continuing the conversation here in Hamilton. Listen, it's my pleasure. It's the least I could do to help Ukrainians. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. After analyzing five years of data from the Canadian Anti-Fraud Center between 2017 and 2021, there's a new study out that has crunched all the numbers, and it's coming out from a company called Social Catfish. And basically... Well, we're suckers for a scam here in Canada, that is for sure. David McClellan is the president of Social Catfish and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. David, how are you? Good. Thank you for having me. The uh, The numbers are staggering. Um, this study, after you, you crunched all these numbers, shows that we here in Canada are experiencing an unprecedented surge in online scams. Last year, $380 million was stolen from us more than double from what was taken in 2020. What the heck's going on? 
So a big part of that's COVID. Um, more people were at home than ever. And so that left everyone more susceptible to these types of scams. And so what was happening is that you had people online and they're trying to figure out because they're not going on vacations, they're not going out and, and going shopping like they used to. And so they're, they're, uh, the scammers are targeting them for different types of fraud. Um, a few of the different types that we saw, like the biggest ones were you know, too good to be true investment scams and uh, romance scams and then extortion scams. And so, um, you know, just at a high level, the investment scams, a lot of them just pertain to people being contacted saying, I have these opportunities for you. I have a high rate of return, whether, uh, and a lot of it had to do with crypto. And so we saw cryptocurrencies really surge during the pandemic. Um, the other one were romance scams. And so, you know, people weren't going out and, and dating like they used to. And so they were online more and more. Um, but one interesting thing that we we noticed with romance scams, a lot of these people that were scammed were not actually on dating sites. And so they were on sites like, um, you know, Facebook and Instagram, Words with Friends, those games that we play on our phones. And so they're randomly contacted by people and they're groomed for these types of scams. And then the last were uh, extortion scams. And so um, a lot of them had to do with, um, you know, people having their information compromised. We saw a lot of identity theft during the pandemic. Um, additionally, um, we saw sextortion. And so, you know, people that, you know, were trading nudes online and, and were being held hostage essentially for the nudes. And so we saw a massive amount of money lost this way. Another interesting thing that we saw um, majority of people actually don't report these scams because they're too embarrassed. And so about one in every three people will report these types of scams. And so these numbers are most likely significantly higher in the United States. That's the trend we've seen. And so the, our numbers here went from, you know, 300 million to almost a billion dollars over three years. And so the way that Canada is headed, it looks to be headed in a similar direction. Wow. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, David McClellan, the president of Social Catfish. We're crunching the numbers after their recent study shows that we are really suckers when it comes to online scams. A record $380 million stolen in 2021. And lo and behold, number one on the list of most scammed provinces and territories in this nation is Ontario. Now, not a big surprise because we're the most populous province, but it's not nice to be number one, I'll tell you that. No, no, not at all. And and we those are typically the trends that we see. So, you know, the the uh, provinces with the highest population tend to be scammed the most. Um, on average, victims lost over $3,000. And so if you really think about that, um, that's a massive amount of money. You know, when people are scammed, um, online, you know, maybe they'll lose $25 or $50 or they'll buy something from, you know, a store that's not reputable for maybe a couple hundred dollars. But the average uh, victim that lost money lost over $3,000. Ontario number one, Alberta second, BC third, Manitoba fourth, Northwest Territories, a surprise at fifth, followed by Nunavut, New Brunswick, Saskatchewan, Quebec, and Newfoundland and Labrador rounding out the 10. Let's talk about age demographics, because this comes into play as well when it comes to being scammed online. The older we get, the more susceptible we become. Is that true? It's very true. Um, we are seeing you know, Gen Xers, so 20 years and, and younger, we are seeing that demographic actually starting to grow. But, um, you know, ages 60 to 69 were, had the, the, were the group with the highest losses. And next under that were ages 40 to 49. And, you know, we pulled a lot of people. So within our network, you know, we have a lot of people from Canada that come to our website. And so what we do is we help people find and verify people online. And so you get that weird phone number that calls you or you have 
you're dating online, you're going to go meet them in person for the first time, you can look them up and make sure you're doing things in a safe manner. And so we saw a massive influx of users from Canada coming to our site. And that age demographic fits right in with what we've seen. And so um, we pulled the users to try to figure out what was happening. And, and a lot of it just comes down to education. You know, we, we go to school and we learn about, um, you know, math, we learn about science, we learn about, um, you know, politics, we even learn about sex and drugs, but we don't learn about online safety. And so those demographics, they get online and they're very trusting of the internet because, you know, their grandchildren are very active on the internet or their children are very active on the internet. And so they feel confident and comfortable, you know, when they get on and they don't think that these scams can happen. The biggest differentiator in somebody that gets scammed out of money and then somebody else that doesn't, it really just comes down to education. So the more that we can educate people online and have them understand what to look out for, the, the um, greater the opportunity to actually stop and slow down these scams. David McClellan has been our guest, president of Social Catfish. You can check them out online, socialcatfish.com. David, appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. The three biggest scams are investment scams, romance, and extortion scams. Investment scams last year alone bilked $165 million out of your bank account. 165. That was basically the total uh, for all of 2020. Just in investment scams, $165 million out the window. Romance scams, $134 million. Extortion, $54 million. Now you might think, yeah, the older we get the more susceptible we are to believing these kind of scams. And that's mostly true. The most scam group was the group aged 60 to 69. They lost $81,000 on average last year. 81 grand. Ages 40 to 49 was second and a pretty close second. Nearly $79,000 out the window you think those in their 40s would be a little more tech-savvy. Here are some tips to avoid getting scammed when it comes to those investment scams. Because once you invest, you never see your money again. And those crypto scams are red hot. Research the person and company and consult with a third-party financial expert before handing over any cash. When it comes to romance scams... Do not give any money to anyone if they will not meet you in person. Because a lot of these scammers are online, they're hidden. They might, you know, participate in a video chat, but you're never really going to see them in person. Don't give them any money. Lastly, the good old-fashioned extortion scam. You know those fake CRA, fake RCMP calls. Hey, if you don't give us the money that you owe us, you'll go to jail. Law enforcement will never demand payment or threaten arrest by email or phone. When was the last time someone was arrested over the phone? I'm sorry, Mr. Zamprin, you were involved in a collision. We're arresting you. We'll be over in a few minutes. No, it doesn't happen. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. This one certainly caught my eye. Headline, millions of Canadians admit to believing in conspiracy theories. How could you not look further? You want to dive into that, don't you? Of course we do. Abacus Data recently surveyed 1,500 Canadians and found some interesting findings. 
David Coletto is the CEO of Abacus Data and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. David, how are you? I'm well. Good morning, Rick. What was the focus of this survey? What were you targeting on? So we wanted to learn, because there's been lots of talk with the January 6th committee in the United States, you know, looking at the insurrection and some of the, the conspiracy theories around the 2020 election. Um, and up here in Canada, the conservative leadership race has gone on, and there's some candidates talking about conspiracies as well. We wanted to get a sense of how widespread belief is in some theories that, that, that are out there and to understand a little bit about why uh, certain folks might believe these things. And that was really the, the driver for this research. Which finding uh, or, or statistic did you find the most interesting or maybe surprising? Well, some of your listeners may have heard of the great replacement theory or the white replacement theory that basically argues that you know, uh, policymakers in Canada are bringing in immigrants who have very different views from those that are were already here, and that was this is their way of trying to change society, right? Change um, the way that Canada is, and it's being talked about, you know, in, in some circles. And we found that almost four in ten Canadians agreed that that's happening, um, and that you know aligns with a similar number who say much of our lives are being controlled by plots hatched in secret places by people and that small groups, you know, are conspiring to cause and create wars and recessions and, and influence elections that are going to create conditions that are all against us. There's this, you know, sizable minority, still minority, but sizable group of Canadians who are very skeptical, in fact, very suspicious of decision makers in whether it's Ottawa, whether it's in Queen's Park or you name it, and believe that you know, everything that's, that's gone wrong in their lives is being directly affected by, by these conspiracies that are happening. And um, to me, the, the, the scale and the number of people who believe this was, was, was surprising to me. I expected, you know, quite a number, but to think that almost four in ten people believe something like that or agree with that statement is, is shocking to me. Absolutely so, yeah. 44%, which would be the equivalent of 13 million adults, believe that these small groups uh, you know, are hatching certain plots to make our lives better or worse, or you know, however you kind of look at it. When, when you look at political leanings, what did you find? Well, we found that those on particularly the political right of the spectrum, those that you know, certainly voted for the People's Party of Canada or would support the People's Party of Canada today, uh, Max Bernier's party, they overwhelmingly believe Almost all of the conspiracies we shared, they were the most likely to. But we also found sizable numbers of conservatives, almost half, believe many of the things that we, you just said. Uh, but also, you know, four out of ten liberal and New Democrat supporters. So that it's not isolated only to the political right, but it's more concentrated there. But what was probably the most important drivers, I think, is a lack of trust in the media and in government institutions. The folks who said they lacked you know, they thought that what the media put out there was, was largely false and that they couldn't trust the events uh, or the way that government talk about events. They overwhelmingly believed most of these conspiracy theories that, that we showed. So there was a strong relationship between a lack of trust and, and believing some of this stuff. And it, it carried itself out to those who have not been vaccinated for COVID-19 were also some of the most likely to believe some of these things. So they're all connected in this lack of trust in institutions and in science, in fact, um, is exposing people and opening them up to believe some very, um, you know, incorrect and, and false things right now.
Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is David Coletto, the CEO of Abacus Data. They recently surveyed 1,500 Canadians and found that millions of us admit to believing in conspiracy theories, including one about Microsoft founder Bill Gates. Tell us about that one. Yeah, we asked people whether they believe that Bill Gates um, has, um, he uses microchips to track and affect people's behavior. Um, and we found that 13%, about just over 1 in 10 Canadians, believe that's definitely true or probably true. And another 1 in 5 believe it's possibly true or they're not sure, right? So you're, you're looking at close to a third of Canadians who either believe it's likely true or they're not sure if it's not true that, you know, we are being, Bill Gates is putting microchips in us so that he can track where we're going and, and affect our behavior. Um, now, that was the one that had the, the fewest people believing, but even 13%, 10% of, of adults in Canada is like three plus million people. So um, when you when you look at, when you take that percentage and you extrapolate, it's a lot of a lot of people believing that out there. It's kind of the scary world that we live in. David, appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us. Take care. Thanks so much, Rick. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. What an amazing story this is. A Hamilton man recently won the Buffalo Marathon. Wait for it. While running with a baby stroller. And he nearly broke a Guinness World Record in the process. It's absolutely amazing. Lucas McEnany is his name from Hamilton, Buffalo Marathon winner, and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Lucas, how are you? Good, how are you? Thanks for having me. Hey, yeah, thanks for coming on. How did all this come apart, marathoning while pushing your baby in a stroller? Well, the marathoning part I've been doing my whole life, so this was my 21st marathon, and uh, so it was kind of just something... I briefly gave up when uh, when my wife was pregnant and uh, the first six, seven months of my son's life and kind of moving on to the next stage of my life. But we ended up getting, um, you know, I was wanting to get obviously some kind of exercise and uh, we ended up getting a, a running stroller and uh, my son uh, would nap in it and uh, we'd get a break from, uh, we'd get a break from the, uh, you know, uh, my wife would get a break anyways from, from Sutton. So it was, it was kind of a win-win everywhere. I had a bit of an adjustment to running with a stroller, but eventually he got really fit again and decided to, to try for a Guinness World Record. So did you have to convince race officials in Buffalo to allow the stroller and your son in? Yeah, it, so normally it's a, they don't allow ru- uh, running strollers. A lot of races don't, and... Um, I had to get special permission, so I emailed the race director back in February, and uh, he was on board, and he thought it was a great idea to try for a Guinness World Record, and uh, so that's what we did. How much slower are you with a stroller? I'd say it's about 10 to 12 seconds a kilometer, not a lot. Um, the, the flatter the course, the, uh, the less turns there are, the, the easier it is. Um, the stroller glides really, really well, so it's not a lot of actual, you get used to it, so... Um, so it was kind of one thing I really wanted to do to kind of top off his uh, years as a toddler. And, you know, the fact that he was my main training partner for two years was, was um, you know, just a way we could kind of 
commemorate the past couple of years and uh, have a fun event together. Yeah, great bonding experience, that is for sure. Lucas McEnany is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Lucas is from Hamilton, recently won the Boston Marathon uh, while pushing a baby stroller. What's it like running with Sutton in that stroller? Is he asleep? Is he eating? Is he talking? What's the experience like? Um, all of the above. And now that he's two, like he or almost three, he's got he's got more energy than he than he used to. Obviously, when we first uh, had him in the stroller, he was napping. But now, uh, especially doing a marathon in Buffalo, there's lots to stimulate him. And it wasn't during nap time. He had just woken up from I. The race started at six thirty in the morning, so he had just woken up. And uh, I had to have everything kind of pr- prepared. So there was a lot of work that went into it, making sure that he had you know snacks on route and an extra diaper and. Um, he had he had bottles that he could drink, and I had my bottles that I could drink, and um, and then uh, and then Buffalo kind of did the rest in terms of uh, stimulating him. So there was lots of people along the route just cheering and very excited about what we were doing, and uh, there was lots for him to see. He loves trucks and he loves uh, the the emergency vehicles, so he was looking at that, and we would talk about it and. You know, and we would talk about what we would do after the ri- the race. And I even talked about, uh, you know, at one point in the race, I was pretty confident we were going to win. And I said, but I think you're going to come first and I'm going to come second. So <laughs> just make sure that uh, you put your arms up when we get to the finish line. Of course, he fell asleep, fell asleep 10 minutes before we got to the finish line. But, uh, but yeah, it was a, it was a great, a great experience and, uh, you know, the proudest moment. For me, as a as a runner and as a parent, that is pretty. Far. That is pretty cool. We got about thirty seconds. Are you still going to be going for a Guinness World Record at another event coming up? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think we can top this experience. And uh, and because of all the work that went into making it happen, I don't know if we would get that lucky again. You know, with the weather and everything. Well, it's an amazing way to go out, and you did it in style by finishing first. Lucas, congrats to you and Sutton, and uh, best of luck in your future runs. Okay, thank you so much. That's Lucas McEnany from Hamilton winning the Boston Marathon while pushing his two-year-old son, Sutton, in a stroller. Absolutely amazing. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.